There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. Father, we thank you for this time in your word this morning. Uh, and just as Matt prayed, would our hearts and minds be open to receive you, God, that we experience you by your spirit through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So again, to put you guys into a little bit of uh, geographical and again, historical context, remember where we are. We are still with the nation of Israel camped at Mount Sinai, and they've been there uh, for about a month now. And they have just finished erecting the, um, or they've been there for six months building the tabernacle. The one month in my head is, just so you guys know, all of the book of Leviticus takes place in about a month. So we've been making our way through the book of Exodus. They come to Mount Sinai. They have now been spending six months to build this tabernacle. The book of Leviticus starts off with God speaking from the tabernacle to Moses. And that span of time of this entire book is going to take about a month. Interesting enough, it'll probably take us about the same amount of time to get through this book. Um, So it says, And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, or the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. This is the last chapter of Exodus. And then again, in Exodus chapter 40, 35, it says, And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting, because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Again, you had the unveiled presence of Yahweh pouring out upon the tabernacle. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 1, you guys are there with me, and it says, now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meaning. We talked about this last week and the week before. Again, I constantly want to bring us to what is the situation. The situation is post the golden calf moment where the entire nation and after about 40 days of Moses being gone, breaks God's first two commandments. A commandment which they said, God, everything you said to do, we'll do it. 40 days of no Moses and no earth shaking for them, and boom, they're off doing their own thing. Complete rebellion. God shows them and says, hey, but I'm going to be truthful to my word. But something happens at the end of Exodus. Moses cannot get into where the presence of God is in the tabernacle. Leviticus starts this off saying that he's speaking to. Again, it's going to be one month of God laying out and speaking to Moses to give these commands. And in that time, what you're going to find out by the time you get to Numbers chapter 1, verse 1, is that it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting. So this one-month moment where God is speaking out, it is effective. God's spoken word is effective to bringing his people into his presence. Now, something else that, again, that I would just kind of want to give us there is is that if there is one word that you could wrap up all of the book of Leviticus into, it's holiness. Everything that we're looking at, everything is is looking at God and his holiness, that we have a holy God, and that these laws that he's going to declare. Now, you're going to see a lot of times 
we're going to be moving fairly quickly, but I encourage you guys to go through. A lot of people will skip over Leviticus because it seems like just a bunch of, pun intended, based off this morning, hoop jumping. But it's more than that because here's the thing. In the book of Leviticus, you have more times where you're going to see, and the Lord said, and the Lord said, and the Lord said, and the Lord said in one book. The book of Leviticus is Yahweh speaking directly over and over. So for anyone in this room who's ever said, well, you guys say things like, hear God speak, what does that sound like? Go to the book of Leviticus. Get acclimated with his voice. Read it. Let his very words spoken by him just sink in. Now, again, when we look through the book of Leviticus, there are two laws that you're going to see. There's a ceremonial type of law. These include like the Sabbath, the dietary laws, bodily discharge, things like that. And these are not repeated in the new covenant because they spoke of our need for Jesus. Jesus fulfilled all of the ceremonial laws. So those are not repeated. Interesting enough, though, the moral laws that come up in this book regarding things like murder, stealing, lying, adultery, all of these laws will actually be repeated again in the New Testament because they are they are expressions and they represent God in his holy nature. And when we say that Jesus fulfilled those, it means that he kept them perfectly. He fulfilled all of the illustrative, prophetic, pointing laws, and then he himself kept every single moral law, fulfilling to become who he needed to be for us. So this question comes up as we, we see this. Okay, we have this holy God. Moses cannot get into the tabernacle. And so the question gets better out. How then can sinful man have a relationship and be with the holy God? And so as you go through the book of Leviticus, the things that it's going to bring up, what the law does and points to is it reveals that we are not holy and in fact are sinners. God is holy and we are not. And it reveals that there is a penalty for our uncleanliness. And in fact, there is a penalty for sin, which is to say, even though I'm unclean, I think I can just do whatever I want. I think I can go into God's presence however I want. And there is a penalty for that. And then God, through the law, will actually reveal and point to the remedy for the uncleanliness of sin. It's going to answer those questions. How can I, a sinful man, defiled by my sin, Approach the perfect and holy God. How can I serve God? How can I be pure and stay holy? And throughout all of this, again, with all this language, we we can kind of miss in the imagery because the imagery of Leviticus, especially the chapters we're going to cover through, is all about consecrating and making holy space pure. But by the blood and power of the life there in Jesus Christ, you are not only able, bless you, to enter into sacred holy space, guys, by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, you become sacred space. That is why 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So guys, as, we, as you look through the first seven chapters of Leviticus, they are really dealing with this issue. And I, and I know I'm repetitive, but I really want, as you go through these things, okay, what is all this, the sacrifices and these offerings, what is this all about? It is all about how do I, as a defiled human, 
enter into the presence of this holy God, this holy God who when speaking from the burning bush told Moses, take off your sandals. You are on holy ground that God is saying, look, I am holy. I am like the sun. And if you try and just walk into this, you're going to get burned up. But he is calling us into this relationship. And so the question begs, then how, God, how do I get from where I am as defiled to where you are, where I desire to be and where you want me to be? So again, with all the language that we read through in this, it's that if we understand that if sin is the disease that creates the barrier, the book of Leviticus teaches us that sacrifice is the prescription on how to approach God. And again, it's this imagery that you're going to see over and over. The language is steeped in it of clean versus unclean. And the unclean things of this world make us unclean. Therefore, it is unsafe for us to try and go into God's holy presence unclean. Now, what we're going to try and cover this morning is chapters 1 through 5. I'm not going to go verse by verse through all of that. We're going to look at sections of this, but so follow with me. We're going to be going through chapters 1 through 5, and they're all centered around five offerings or sacrifices. These five chapters of Leviticus, they present the law for each of these sacrifices, which is going to be described through these chapters. And these chapters emphasize the the mechanics or, or literally uh, the, the pieces of the sacrifice, their ingredients and the preparation thereof. But all of it, all of this, all five chapters, everything we're going to go through, all of it is just a shadow and a pointing to Jesus Christ. All of this. That is why I say don't push past Leviticus, though it can seem random and weird. It is not unimportant. In fact, again, it is the spoken word of God so presently as Yahweh is going to say over and over, and the Lord said, and the Lord said, and describing who he is and pointing to Jesus Christ, all of it. That is why in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Hebrews tells us everything you're going to go through, all these offerings, it was all pointing to Jesus. And then Jesus comes on and says, I'm not here to destroy the law and the prophets. I am the fulfillment. I am the one that they're all pointing to. Now, uh, in chapters one through three, the first three offerings, they're referred to as what's called a, a free will offering. It means that this is somebody who, who is coming and just going, I want to come into the presence of God. I want to be where God is. And God says, well, let's start there. And I want that to just sink in and start with that question we've been asking. How do I come to be in the presence of God? And it starts with free will. That is intentional. It is a choice to say, I want to be where he is. That God says, and I've got a way for that. Chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says, Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. It is his offering. Uh, If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests. Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron... The priest shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order of the fire. Then the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and its legs with water and the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now something that I just want to kind of 
point out that, again, we can miss when we go through this thing. And at least I know that this was, honestly, for me, it kind of stood out this time and something I never really grasped until I was going through this time. See, I always had in my head that you take your animal and say, okay, I've got my animal. Okay, priest, go do all the bloody gross stuff. But I don't know if you caught that because over and over through each one of the offerings, actually it says the person who's bringing the offering, they're the ones grab a hold and lay upon the head of that offering and they're the ones that kill it. When you bring the sacrifice, it is not a, okay, I'm here to appease God. Here you go. Take care of the priest's stuff so I can, you know, I don't want to deal with all the icky, so if you could do that and then I'll, I'll go in and be with God. Guy goes, no, no, you, you need to understand the cost. And they would have to get a hold of that and they would kill it themselves and then there would be this process by which the priest would enter in. And now this first offering, it is called a burnt offering. This is all about, again, the proximity to God. To understand that the proximity to God is dangerous for someone who is unholy. And that is because he is holy. And to approach God appropriately because you are not him. So right from the beginning, again, this bloodshed, this, this, this whole beginning of the system, the burnt offering was by which you said, God, I want to come in. And I am offering up this burnt offering. Everything gets burnt up. It was God's means of saying, okay, we can, you can enter into this presence. But it started with a fearful approach to understand God is holy, I am not. And I can't just waltz in there, that there must be a means by which we can have this. And it started there with this burnt offering. As we should, as Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, to understand God is God and I am not. He sits on the throne. He makes the rules. He is in control. Now this word atonement comes up uh, several times in Leviticus. And in, in most of the New Testament, in most of the New Testament, uh, it has this word that says to, to cover. There's actually kind of four versions of, of, of the word tofar um, or, or kovar. And what you have is you have like kind of two nouns and two verbs. Uh, and the verb really, it has this language of like purging. So when it's talking about atonement, you're looking at the word to, to purge. It, again, think back to this, this cleanliness language, unclean and clean. And many times it's actually the object that will direct the use of the word atonement. And I say it interesting enough because in Leviticus we have a very, very different version of this word that's used in Leviticus over and over. And we'll look at that a little bit later. It says, um, but this offering was represented as a total consecration to the Lord. It is a life totally given over to him. To the very beginning, to enter into the presence is a free will place to say, I'm yours. The thing, guys, for us, is we don't need to bring this offering to approach God because Jesus, again, is the fulfillment. He is the volunteer offering for our access to God. That's why Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 through 11 says, the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. 
See, this is completely foreign, this concept. And, and I want to stop here for just a moment because as you move through Leviticus, it's all pointing. But people do these weird things about wanting to go back to a Levitical system. But by me saying don't go back doesn't mean I'm saying somehow it was ineffective or wrong or bad. It, was, it fulfilled its purpose. Its purpose was to point to Christ. Christ comes and says, I'm not destroying. I'm here to fulfill that. And right from the beginning, something that start to, to kind of sink in is Christ is better. The entire book of Hebrews, speaking on Leviticus, is trying to drive this home to us. Christ is better. That is what it is about. And so right from this beginning is that the, the Hebrew growing up, they didn't have this idea of, I can just boldly come into the presence of God. They had this, okay, there's an offering. It starts with a burnt offering. And then there's several other offerings. I had to go through this process by which I had to, 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 to feel like I was okay to enter into God's presence. And then here comes along Jesus to say, I took care of that. I am the burnt offering. I am the free will offering. I gave of myself, and now you can boldly come before the throne through Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 2. Leviticus chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, this second offering is a grain offering. And in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, Three says, when anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take it from his, from it, his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a most holy of the offerings to be made by fire. Jump to verse uh, 11 there in chapter 2. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13 says, No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And for every offering of your grain offering, you shall season it with salt, and you shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all the offerings, you shall eat the salt. And so now, what this offering was all about, it talks about this first fruit. This is about what our, what our life produces. And what this grain offering was. So the first one, burnt offering, Lord, I'm yours. The grain offering was to come in and say, Lord, what I recognize is everything that you've given me or everything I have, you've given. That's what this was about. Guys, understand that, that unlike other religious and cultural systems at this time, they had this belief that, well, their gods needed food from us to be sustained. God says, I don't need your food. This isn't about God needing to be sustained by our praise or worship. He's good. He's good on his own. This is him saying, I want you to enjoy my presence. And he, come, he, he establishes a system by which people can, can come into his presence. And then as they're there to say, God, I just want to say to you, as a free will, I understand that everything that I have, everything that has of benefit to me, you've given. And now this, there's this issue with this, this leaven. And so it says, well, why not, not, why not make it with leaven? Uh, if you guys have ever baked bread or done anything like that, uh, it, it's basically yeast. If you guys know how yeast works, yeast is actually a decaying process. If you have non-leavened bread, it's flat. You put a little bit of yeast in it, and actually it starts to 
eat away, decay, and it's, uh, we eat this stuff and we think it's delicious, but when we start talking about it, is as it basically this decay process starts happening, the gases cause stuff to rise, and that's how we get our nice fluffy bread. Delicious stuff. I don't know why people get, I mean, people, do you know what's in that chicken? No, but it is delicious. Do you know what happens with your bread with leaven? No, but ooh, it's good. God is not anti-good, tasty, fluffy bread. What God is saying is leaven is a process of decay. And when he says that he's a God who gives, and we're saying, God, we come to you to say thank you for everything you're giving, it is a distinguishing moment, because he didn't say you can never eat that. He says, when you come with the grain offering, what he's saying is, this offering to me, there should be no connection to death in this. And so that leaven is a decay process. There's, 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 there's a breakdown. You say, no, no, no. The offering to be is to be connected because Yahweh is the source of life. Everything he gives, it is all bringing us back to the creator, the one who placed man in the garden. He's saying, everything in your hand, he's given and he is the source of life. In Matthew, it says that uh, God is the God of the living and not the dead. But then you get to Romans and you, you get a passage that says, Jesus is the Lord of both the living and the dead. So you almost find this moment going, well, wait, Yahweh's the source of life, no symbol of death. And, and God is the God of the living, okay, but then Jesus is the Lord of the living and the dead. Which one is it? And again, the language being very intentional is when Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the Lord of the living and the dead. What does the Lord do? The Lord tells you which way you need to go. The Lord is the one that you follow and submit. And so Jesus comes and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when he's saying, he's like, I am the way, I am the Lord, I am the director by which you can know life. Matthew is telling us about to know God is to know life. And he is the giver of that. Now, it says no leaven, but then it mentions salt. Again, why do we even go through this? It's because Jesus is going to pull on this idea of this offering when he starts talking on, in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, and he starts talking about salt. And it being, the idea of the salt is that it is it's a preserver, but it's a binder. And so they would use it in covenant relationships. They're saying that this is a binding relationship. This is, this is something that lasts. And that's why he's saying, look, this is something that's supposed to create a lasting connection. But yet we find out in Mark chapter 9, verse 50, again, speaking of Jesus on the Mount of Beatitudes, where he says, salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. This idea of getting all these things, when we're looking at, when it's going through these offerings, it's all imagery, it's all language to point to the bread of life, the manna who's come down from heaven, Jesus himself, who says, I want that salt in there because I want you to know when I give you this life, it is a binding, preserving relationship. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 3, verse 13. Leviticus chapter 3 is talking about the, the peace offering. It's called peace offering, uh, but it could also be called the peace sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 3, verse 13 through 17, it says, He shall lay his hand on its head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from it his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that's on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. 
all the fat is the Lord's. This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In all your dwellings, you shall eat neither fat nor blood. Now, the reason I say it can be called a offering or sacrifice, is this is where you can get into some, people get into technicalities, but really when you look at what is considered in Old Testament a sacrifice, a sacrifice is a participatory animal meal, meaning this is where, if you guys picked up on that when I was talking about you made it for food, is that they would make this offering, but the sacrifice part is going, this was actually a meal that wasn't just given to the priest, it was like you sat down with the priest and you had this meal. So you have this burnt offering that comes in and says, God, I, I'm all yours. You have the grain offering that says, everything I have is yours. And when it says peace offering, this is not about trying to, again, appease God like the other gods who needs to be appeased. This is coming in actually saying, the peace of God creates fellowship and community. And so you would bring this peace sacrifice and you would sit down and have a meal with the priests. And again, when you get to 1 Kings and Solomon talks about this two-week feast, it goes into the numbers of just that this, they, they have this massive peace offering when you get to 1 Kings and go, it lasted two weeks because it was just them saying the peace that we finally have as a community and as a family of God, and it, that's what this peace offering was. Not a make peace with God, not to appease God, but to say, I am yours. Everything I, good I have is yours. And we love the peace that you give us. Now, when it gets into all the different body parts and anatomy, people start debating on, well, do they know science? They knew animal anatomy. But when you, it's interesting when you, when you look at the anatomy and, and corresponding human anatomy is that the deepest parts of this sacrifice and of most of these sacrifices, the deepest organs, that's what's given up to the Lord. It was the deepest parts. And again, it, it comes to say, when, when we come to God, do we give him just kind of our, our superficial, okay, I got 15 minutes for you. Or do we give him our deepest parts when we come before to say, God, I, I thank you for what you've given me. I thank you for the peace that I have in you. And, and so are we there to offer up and take the, the blessings that he goes and go, this is mine, this is for me. And we go, no, I'm giving that right back, the deepest parts of me. Now, I find this a little interesting because when we were in the book of Exodus, and when you also look at these pieces, it's just a little bit of a side thing. When you go again through these world religions and, and these different ones, what they did with the different organs and what their view was. See, they would take these deepest parts and they would use them in rituals to appease their gods, to gain strength of the gods. And they would do these different things as they would consume things like the liver. And even back in Exodus, what you see is what God says is, you know what I want you to do with the liver? You know that stuff that they think is their power source? Burn it. Burn it. You're not going to look anything like them. See, the distinguishing here is as these other world religions with their magicians would take these organs and they would do these different rituals, God says, you know what I want you to do with those types of practices? Burn it. You're not to look anything like that. Those are mine. I am the source of life. I'm the one who has given you these things that you say are the works of your hands. You say, look at how, look at the stuff that I've done. Look at my athletic skill. Look at my smarts. And God goes, where did you think you got that? Well, I train hard. I, I, do, all, I do a bunch of work. I study. I do this. I've done that. And God goes, so what? You're working hard to keep that, those lungs breathing, are you? You're firing those neurons off. You're pumping that blood. The system nobody likes to talk about. Oh, 
you're working that whole endocrine and urine system. No one also wants to talk about it. They're talking about entrails. By the way, you want to want to know what system will shut down that body in a hurry? The GI system. You're not f- focusing and working on the making things pass, but I can tell you, when it gets stopped up, everything starts to fail. And so here God comes and goes, I want you to take all that and don't go through these magician practices. Burn it. Also, again, just saying, God, you know what? I'm at peace with you. And where that peace comes from, when you look again at all those body parts that are being burned up, starts talking about the kidneys and the liver. When you make the human anatomy connection, they're all part of our natural defenses. It's as if to say, God, I'm going to stop trying to defend myself and let you be God. I'm going to stop trying to do it on my, I'm going to stop trying to be strong enough and good enough and follow these ritual practices. And I'm just, God, thank you for the peace that you give. That is why Psalm 63 verse 5 says, my soul shall be satisfied as with the marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Now again, chapters one through three, this was the, the burnt offering the grain offering, the peace offering. These are the sweet aroma offerings and they are all from a free will. They're about completely surrendering your life to God because he is worthy. That is why Romans chapter 12 verse one says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now we're going to finish up these last two chapters really quick. Chapters four and five, uh, and actually into a little bit of chapter six is is when you look at the breakdown, but these are sacrifices of cleaning. They teach about uh, the sin and trespass offering. These are all about the blood. Romans 3.23 has told us that all have sinned and all fall short of the standard of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Turn with me now to Leviticus chapter 4, looking at uh, first two verses, 1 and 2. Leviticus 4, 1 and 2 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, and it goes on to describe it, uh, jump down to verses in chapter 4, verses 33 through 35. Leviticus 4, 33 through 35. It says, Then he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it as a sin offering at the place where they kill the burnt offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all of its fat as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. The sin offering, as Romans tells us, sin needs to be paid for and God requires payment. And the truth, it doesn't matter if it's unintentional or not. There is no getting pulled over by the officer and when he goes, do you know how fast you were going? No, officer, I don't know how fast you're going. You were going 65 and 25. I'm sorry, officer. I didn't know I couldn't do that. Try that one sometime. I didn't know I couldn't do that. Uh, It doesn't matter. You broke the law. 
Same thing with this. is that God saying, even if you didn't mean to do it, which, by the way, you're going to see through the Old Testament, again, why Christ is so much better. There are no sacrifices for intentional moral sin. You don't accidentally have an adulterous affair. No matter what someone else may tell you, you don't fall into that. You made a choice. And God says that there's, in this system, there is no payment for that. And again, where does that drive you to? Man, Christ is so much better. So much better. That is what should be happening to her. It's pointing to him, and again, what these people lived under, and to go, he is better at this cleansing of our soul. Now, what's interesting, again, as you go through that entire chapter, as you see about this, this sin offering, is that it actually dealt with the community, because sometimes they say, hey, the community may not know that it did something. But either the community or the priest or even the individual And what's amazing as you go through this chapter, and again, I encourage you guys to read through this, is when you read about the blood and the sacrifice of, is that the blood will go to the level of contamination. What I mean by that is when you see who was allowed in different areas of God's throne, of this tabernacle, you didn't have non-priestly people go past the courtyard. So where does the blood go for them? To the courtyard. Then you had other priests, the sons of Aaron, who would go into the tabernacle. And where did the blood go if they should sin? It went into the tabernacle. And then once a year, you had the high priest, the only one who was allowed to go in. And where does the blood go? What am I here? What is the communication of this sin offering? Is Christ is saying the blood will penetrate to the deepest part of sin. To that part that you say you don't know what's down inside. And he goes, I do, and my blood takes care of that. He is better but even this communication through, this purification that comes through God, through obedience and done in good faith. And you will read over and over and you will be forgiven. Now, as just a, a really quick little side th- thing for your note takers, Luke chapter two. In Luke chapter two, you see Mary come give a sin offering. Now, let me just tell you, if you try and use this as a basis to fight against people who say that Mary was perfect and you try and use this, you're going to lose that fight because this is an unintentional sin. This is a, this is when she's giving the sin offering, it says that, but you know what was one of the things? If you had a baby, (gasps) but having that baby made you ceremonially unclean. She didn't sin by having a baby but she became unclean by this process. What I, only reason I want to bring this up to you guys is one, don't use that as a base of right? Bad idea. But number two, throughout the sacrifice of sin offering, what God starts doing is going, I am not going to allow finances to be a barrier at all. God will not allow finances to be a barrier to someone presenting a sin offering, to things being made right. And what ends up happening is when you get down to like the poor folk, it got down to two turtle doves. The reason I bring this up is, do you know what Mary offers as her sacrifice in Luke chapter 2 for her sin offering? Two turtle doves. Just giving you a picture when we say that our, our Lord and Savior came into a humble state. We're not talking middle class. We're talking a dad who was a carpenter who shortly after, we never hear his name again, much implied that Joseph has died off and here's Mary and they're broke. That is the family that Jesus brought himself into to relate to us on every level.
Psalm chapter 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy of heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much more pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than the honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned in keeping them. There is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. As we come to this last offering in chapter 5, the trespass offering. Leviticus chapter 5, look there with me. Leviticus 5, 14 and 16. These are the last verses we'll look of these chapters. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord his trespass offering, a ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. As a trespass offering, he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing and shall be added one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of trespass offering and it shall be forgiven him. What this is, is this is coming in and going, you took something of somebody else's and you broke it. And God says, I expect restitution. The trespass offering was to make an offering of restitution. This is to say, I messed up and I'm not just going, hey, I'm sorry that I broke your favorite shovel. It would be like, hey, here's your shovel and actually here's 20% more in finances as restitution. I want to make this right. The thing about this whole thing and this whole process, guys, is that this was a very public process. So if you're coming with the trespass offering, the whole community goes, Look at what he did. We know what this is. But again, as you see the language, and we do this so many times in church, it's sad. We'll see someone who's going and maybe talking to a leader or going to a pastor or, or there's a discussion being had. Instead of going, I should pray for that person. What did they do? I want to know. What, what, what trespass did they commit? What's going on that I need to know? Instead of our hearts going, I'm that's someone that needs my prayer. That's someone that needs my love and attention. And see, what you hear over and over in this trespass offering is go, yeah, I done messed up, but I'm about to go get forgiveness. That should be, again, the pride that that person can walk with, is that I have a, a way of making restitution and finding forgiveness. Now, throughout all of this, we've, again, looked at the book of Hebrews, and it's communication of how better Christ is. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. In just these five chapters, over 88 times blood is brought up. And it shows the awfulness of sin and the fact again that the cost of sin, the wage of sin is death. And they got to see that firsthand as they would bring these sacrifices and they would be the ones to do the slaughtering. But all of it all of it being prophetic work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his fulfillment of. Well, that's why Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4 through 10, that's where we're going to end this morning, says it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. 
With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. What do all of these sacrifices in these five chapters take us to? The burnt offering, complete consecration, a full submitting to the Lord. Where Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's sweating blood, not my will, but your will be done. That for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross because he loved you and still does. The grain offering that says, God, everything that I have was given of you, and the greatest grain offering is that manna from heaven, Jesus himself, that fulfillment. The peace offering that speaks to a denial of self-defense as our Lord and Savior, who at any moment could have called down a legion of angels and wiped them all out, but willingly submitted himself to be spit upon, beaten, and nailed to a cross so that we could have peace. And then bringing us to that place of being that sin offering. To say that I am so much better because the blood of the bulls and goats, it couldn't take, that this blood, it reached the deepest parts, but he's saying that was, that was incomplete. And here he comes along and says, if you have made that intentional moral sin, if you have made that mistake, God says, my sacrifice on the cross is so much greater than bulls and goats because it never could. It was only a shadow, a picture pointing to what he would do for you. And that final offering of restitution. That restitution is say, God says, I don't just make it okay. I come with a life that is full and full to the uttermost. And that is at your disposal every single day. That these, this Levitical law was all pointing to what Christ has done for every single one of you. That you can come boldly before the throne as no one in Israel ever could. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son. And Lord, I just pray right now that, uh, Lord, if there's anyone who, who, who hears of these things and sees the imagery of the blood and, and they feel the weight of that and, and feel condemnation, that you would speak to them right here in this moment to say you did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through you might be saved. That the failure of, of a system it's only our failure to recognize it was never intended to bring us salvation, but to point to you who is our salvation. And Lord, not out of guilt, not out of shame, not out of trying to earn your favor, but out of a life of gratitude, of a free will offering to say, I am yours. Everything I have is yours. Thank you for the peace that you have given us by the sin offering of your son on the cross that it doesn't just even meet the mark, Lord. It gives a full life of restitution. Where we live lives of gratitude in that. But would it first start with that free will choice to say, I'm not going to try and do it on my own, but to follow you, Jesus, the Lord of the living and the dead. In your son's name, amen. 
The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derives from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at SickosBeatSuck797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal. <laughs>